Thank you for tuning in to Emmanuel Faith Community Church. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. We are really grateful that you've joined us for our very first message in what will end up being almost a year-long series in the book of 1 Corinthians. Um, The term was launched into our common everyday vernacular at the very beginning of this pandemic. Remember that uh, almost two years ago now? It was the way that we tried to describe the feeling that was sort of universal and going on amongst all of us. This this feeling that we're in sort of uncharted territory, that we didn't exactly know what was going on, that we felt like our lives had been flipped upside down in some ways. And here was the word that, like me, you may have heard used over and over again to describe our time. It's the word, whoops, it's the word, unprecedented. Anybody hear this? Unprecedented. Yeah, there were issues of of health, of race, economy, politics that all converged to give us this unprecedented feeling of disequilibrium. Our lives were turned upside down. Rates of mental illness skyrocketed. 31% of Americans in a recent survey said that they feel lonely. We're living in what's now being termed as the great resignation. Have you heard this term? Where people are leaving their jobs at unprecedented rates. And my guess is that whether you're a Jesus follower or not here this morning, you have felt that. You felt that. However, if you are a part of the church, my guess is you've also felt the reality that this craziness isn't just out there, it's also inside the church, isn't it? I mean, we've seen seismic shifts in our culture over the last 40 years. Can I get an amen? Yeah, shifts in the way that we view marriage, scripture, sexuality, even truth in general. Massive changes in the way that we view those things. And in addition to that, the prominent place at the table in politics and society at large that followers of Jesus once held and the capital C church once held, it does no longer. I mean, I've talked to many people over these last few weeks getting ready for this series, uh, talking about the applicability of 1 Corinthians, and they said to me something to the effect of, I never thought we'd be here. I never thought we'd be here. In some ways, Christianity has become the toothless giant. Yeah, that onslaught has taken its toll. If you listen to some, it's gloom and doom, right? That, that quote, the, the church in the West is done. There's a research organization called Barna, and they've done a number of surveys over the last few years and months that have been a bit troubling. Here's a few things that they found. 64% of kids who are raised in the church leave when they become adults. of practicing Christians, followers of Jesus, have stopped attending church during the pandemic. A third, a third. 
And 21 percent, or sorry, in 2020, 38 percent of pastors were thinking about quitting the ministry altogether. 38 percent. And I think we could look at these stats as some have and thought, my goodness, where is all of this heading? Now, my goal today, please hear me on this, my goal today is not to give you your daily dose of depressing information, okay? That's not my goal. In fact, quite the contrary. It can be easy to think we are living in quote-unquote unprecedented times and we're heading towards gloom and doom. But here's the reality, friends. The church has been here before. These are not unprecedented times. We, we, we have a, a script. We have a playbook to follow. We've been here before. And here's the deal. I don't um, want to, I don't intend to downplay the troubling statistics that are part of our reality today. They are very true, and I believe that they are accurate and they are real. But what I want to do over the next year is plead with you to fight on the right playing field. Because here's the thing I've been struck with as I study the book of 1 Corinthians, and I've read it over a bunch of times and tried to dig in over the last few months to get ready for our time in this series. And this has been a really interesting um, observation that I've made. Corinth was crazy, you guys. I mean, arguably more crazy than our day and time right now. And do you know how much Paul addresses the city of Corinth in his letter? I can't find a time. I can't find a time. And so I've started to think maybe just maybe the script that we're running where we're sort of like uh, attacking culture or it's culture's fault and all these things are going this way because of quote unquote culture. I just wonder if maybe we're fighting the battle on the wrong playing field. To say it another way, maybe the reason kids are walking away from the faith is not because of what's going on in the world, but because of what's going on in the church. Maybe, just maybe, there's a call from the Apostle Paul through the letter of 1 Corinthians to the church in America today. And one of the main reasons I wanted to study this book and dive in deep over the next 12 months is because I believe 1 Corinthians, this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, I believe that it shows us how to be a church of orthodoxy in the midst of a culture of hostility. It shows us how to live with and for Jesus in a world that pushes back against him. And so, if you have your Bible... Would you open with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. And if you have one of those scripture journals that you bought last week and brought with you, uh, you can open those too. If you're here on campus, you can buy them right after the service if you'd like. They're really handy, and I hope you just sort of make notes on that and work it through over these next few months that we have Together, But as you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of background on the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. Most people he wrote, think he wrote this letter right around 54, 55 AD. 
The church in Corinth was a church that the Apostle Paul himself started, and he spent roughly a year and a half preaching and teaching in Corinth. And it seems as though this was a divine calling from the very get-go that God had given the Apostle Paul. Listen to the way that in Acts chapter 18, it's described. It says this, And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. He's writing, or he's, he's talking to Paul about Corinth. Like, Paul, keep preaching in Corinth. Keep holding out the gospel in Corinth. There are many in this city that I am calling to myself. And so Paul began first in the synagogue. You can read about this in Acts chapter 18. And then he began to preach in these little house churches that started to pop up. And the church in Corinth was born. Let me show you a little map of where Corinth is located, just so you can sort of get it in your mind. Um, it's located in the very center of this map. You can see Corinth, and it's, it's right in between what we consider Asia Minor and where F, the church at Ephesus was, and Italy off to the left. It's in modern-day Greece. And Corinth, as a city, was conquered by the Romans in 146 BC and then rebuilt by Julius Caesar in 44 BC. It's located uh, really in centrally. So it was a popular destination for people traveling both from north to south and from east to west. And because it was at this crossroads, it became a very, very wealthy city. In addition to that, it hosted the Isthmian Games two times every year and was quite prominent in the region. I think if you were to try to describe Corinth in three words in the ancient world, the words that I would utilize are pluralistic, they worshipped many gods, prideful, they had it together, they were a prominent city, and then finally, there was this sense of provision. They had enough. Maybe even some would argue more than enough. They had economic prosperity. And it's to this church that Paul goes. To this church that Paul begins to write in verse 1 of chapter 1. Are you there? I gave you five minutes, so I hope you are. Okay? Here we go. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in beginning this letter. He writes, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. Just a, quick, a few quick notes. Paul, three times in this first verse, wants to drive home the fact that he has authority. He has authority. Now that's going to become really important later on in this letter because Paul's going to write some things that are challenging and difficult to this church. So from the very beginning, he wants the Corinthian church to know he's been called. By whom? By God. By the will of God himself. To be what? An apostle. To be an apostle. One who's carrying the good 
news of Jesus. Oh, and he adds in, and, and the other person who's writing along with me, communicating with me, is Sosthenes. Most people think this is the Sosthenes that's mentioned in Acts chapter 18, verse 17, who is the synagogue ruler in Corinth, the time when Paul began to preach. He goes on and he writes this, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus, both their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's really interesting that Paul wants to write to a church that has its feet distinctly in two different worlds. Did you catch this? Just in verse 2. In Corinth, in Christ. In Corinth, in Christ. And Paul wants to sort of press on this church to recognize that they're not just in Christ at this point in time. They're also in Corinth. And they're not just in Corinth. They're also in Christ. And he wants them to learn how to live faithfully in what can be this challenging, tension-filled in-between. I think this is his main point in this first section that the church is firmly grounded in the world but faithfully living in the kingdom. That's the call for the church. To be firmly grounded in the world, to have its feet firmly planted in the world and to be faithfully living in the kingdom of God all at the same time. If we were to sort of draw it in a diagram, a Venn diagram, it might look like this. The church is found in this intersection. They are in Christ and in Corinth all at the same time. And that can be a challenge, can't it? Come on, can't it? I want to hear you in the chapel, right? It can. I can remember... um, a few years ago, my wife threw a surprise birthday party for me. She uh, rented a table at one of my favorite restaurants, invited a bunch of my friends to come and to celebrate with me. And I can remember sitting around this table thinking, oh my goodness, I hope they don't talk to them. Right? Like, I had people at the same table who were um, longing for the good old days when Barack Obama was president, and then I had friends at the table that were wearing their red Make America Great Again hat, and I'm like, it might have it felt a little bit like your Thanksgiving, right? Where I'm going, like, please, like, let's keep the chaos to a minimum, and I love having friends that have different viewpoints, and, but bringing them all together, that's a challenge, isn't it? Right? I, I think that's the same thing that Paul is saying to this church in Corinth. You're called to live with your feet in two different worlds. That's, that's the church's calling, friends. But it's one that we've often struggled with throughout our history, haven't we? I mean, there are times when we've gone, no, we're just going to sequester ourselves, right? And just live for Christ. Uh, created monasteries so that we don't have to touch the world at all. And then there are times on the other side of the pendulum where there's no difference between the church and the culture at large. There's nothing the church has to say because they look exactly like the world around her. Now, if I were to try to diagnose the, the sort of culture right now and the church right now, if we had a pendulum, um, well, let me just ask you, just, just point which direction you think 
we're swinging more in. Go, come on, come on. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah, the, the church probably looks a little bit too much like the world, right? I don't know about you, though. I want to learn how to live faithfully in this in-between. How about you? Where we live with and for Christ and we live distinctly in Escondido, North County, or wherever you find yourself. And so let's dig in and look a little bit closer at these first nine verses to figure out how Paul lays the groundwork that the church might effectively do this because that's his goal in the very beginning of this letter. Here's what it said in verse two. He said, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those, ah, say this word with me, friends, sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be saints. Sanctified and called to be saints. Both of those words, sort of the same Greek root word, mean to be or to be made holy. Now, let me give you just a quick flyover of Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. You're going to read these words, sanctified saints. And when you read through the book or the letter of 1 Corinthians, you're going to go, I'm not sure who he's writing to here. Because the church in Corinth was just a bit off. There was division amongst them. There was immaturity. There was a young man who was sleeping with his mother-in-law. There were people in the church who were suing each other. There was rampant sexual immorality. They were eating food sacrificed to idols. There were people getting drunk during communion. And their church services resembled a little bit of a circus. And it's to those people and that church that Paul writes and he calls them sanctified saints. Here's my question. Is Paul naive? Is his, is his standard of holiness like way lower than ours? No is the right answer, by the way. Um, no, he's not naive. And no, his standard of holiness is not lower than ours. He uses these two words. The first is sanctified. It means to be called out, to be made holy and set apart as holy. And you'll notice if you look in the scriptures that this is in the past tense. Those sanctified in Christ Jesus. As if to say it's a done deal. It's been accomplished. It is all ready true in theological terms we call this imputed righteousness will you say that with me imputed righteousness it means righteousness it's given to you by a gift that through faith we are given the righteousness that is rightfully christ's and we receive it as our own it is not about performance it is about grace somebody say amen one of the best passages in scripture that points us out is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, where Paul writes once again to the church in Corinth, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
and it's behavior that follows this imputation, this God-given gift that we are made right before the throne of God. So therefore, Paul says, okay, you have been sanctified, imputed righteousness, made right before the throne of God. Therefore, the calling is to become saints. Do you see what he's doing there? It's a done deal. Now, live it out. Live it out. Let it come out of your life. Or we might say it like this. We are called to live out what God has put in. We're called to live out what God has put in. We are already there and yet we're a work in progress. Don't elbow anybody. All right? But Paul is calling the church in Corinth to have their practical lives match their positional standing. Their practical lives to match their positional standing. Um, in the next few weeks, my oldest son is going to turn 13. And I'm planning this rite of passage for him. To be surrounded by some other men and to be prayed for and, and to enter into this journey of manhood, right? And, and here, here's what I'm going to tell him. Um, Ethan, you, you're a man now. Ish. And, and now, over the next five years, my goal is to help you grow into who you already are. Right? And I think that's exactly what Paul is saying. God has put all of this in you. And now, it's your goal to grow into who you already are. That's why, in verse 8, jump down there with me, Paul will write this. He's talking about Jesus, he says, who will sustain you to the end. How does he describe the church? guiltless, guiltless, without blame. He says, it's already true about you. He's not going to make you guiltless. He's already done that. He's going to sustain you guiltless in the day of Christ Jesus. I, I think we could say it like this, that being guiltless is not the end goal of holy living. It's the beginning point. It's the starting line. That's the reason that 62 times in the New Testament, the church, people who are in the church by faith in Christ, are referred to as saints. The scriptures are bold in calling your true identity out, calling it to the surface. Because here's the deal, Emmanuel, please catch this. Here's the deal. You will live out what you believe is true about yourself. Whatever narrative you're telling yourself, whatever story you're telling yourself, you will live that one out. If you believe you're just a wretched sinner, you're going to live it out. If you believe that what the scriptures teach is true, that you are a saint, you will live that out also. And there's a reason that when the devil comes and tempts Jesus in the desert, the very first thing he says to him is, if you really, truly are the son of God. What does he go after? He goes after his identity. He goes after the very core of his being. Did you know that the, the devil, the enemy, is also um, referred to as, one of his monikers is, the accuser of the brothers? Revelation chapter 12. Yeah, that's what he wants to do in your life too. He wants to accuse you. He wants to point out all the ways that you don't live up to 
your sainthood. But here, here's how you disarm him. <laughs> you go, oh, no, no, no. There's more than that. There's more reasons than that I don't live up to it. But praise be to God that I am not a sanctified saint because of my performance. I'm a sanctified saint because of Jesus' sacrifice. And I receive that as my own. His goodness, his grace to me, his word over my life that I am holy, loved, called, and his. And I will walk in that calling empowered by his spirit. That's how Paul starts off this letter. We're just in verse two, you guys. <laughs> if we want to live faithfully in the in-between, we have got to live out what Jesus has already put within. Here's the second thing. Here's the second thing. Verse four. It says this. And I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ. Just a quick time out. I, I don't think Paul is being sarcastic in writing this, but I think there is a little bit of tongue in cheek going on. Right? I, I think that he's saying, I thank God for the grace given you and boy, oh boy, did you need it all. <laughs> My goodness. Verse five, that in every way you've been enriched in him. In all speech and knowledge, even as a testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that, why did God give his grace? So that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, you guys, you guys, you guys, don't lose sight of his coming. But also, don't lose sight of your calling. Faithfully put in both worlds, living in Escondido, in North County, in the kingdom of God. Now, as we read more and more about Corinth, which we will over these next few months together, you might wonder like I do, why Paul doesn't say to the faithful church in Corinth, get out. Get out. It's, it's crazy in Corinth. You can't flourish in Corinth. You got to go somewhere where it's easier to be a follower of Jesus. Just, just get out of Corinth. But what strikes me in the very first chapter, the first few verses of 1 Corinthians is that that's not what Paul says at all. In fact, he says, you are being empowered to live fruitfully in Corinth, not to get out of Corinth. And that's part of living with our feet in between two different worlds. We've got to understand that God's grace empowers us to be effective, not to escape. Empowers us to be effective, not to escape. This is the same thing that Jesus prayed for his disciples in what we call his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, where he said this, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Don't look for a way out. Look for an effective way forward. And how does Paul do this in 
this very first chapter of 1 Corinthians, he says that they have been given two things. Number one, they've been enriched in every way. If you have your own Bible, circle that. They've been enriched in every way. That, that word in the Greek means to be filled to abundance, even to the point of overflowing, to have leftovers and have more than enough. That's what it means. But the second thing he says is you are not lacking in any gift. You can circle that or underline that too. They are lacking in nothing that they need to be effective. Where? In Corinth. In Corinth. He's echoing what the Apostle Peter would write to the churches. His divine power has granted to us how many things? All things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. They have everything they need. Let me say it more personally. We have everything we need to be effective for the gospel in Escondido, North County, and to the ends of the earth. Everything we need. But I think the church is often like um, my boys when they go to our fridge. Parents, you've seen this before. It's, it's typically just boys. I don't know what's the deal, but they go to the fridge, they open the fridge, and what do they say? There's nothing to eat. I'm like, child, please. Like, we had to move around food to make room for more food. They go to the pantry, they open the pantry. We've got nothing to eat. I'm like, there are bags of chips upon chips upon chips. I think what you're telling me is you're not finding exactly what you want in this moment. Which, by the way, what do you want? You don't know what you want. Okay, wonderful, right? I think the church is often like my kids when they go to the fridge. We go to God, we open it up, and we go, God, what are we going to do? We don't have enough power. We don't have enough influence. We don't have enough this. We don't have enough that. God, God, it's empty. And he's going, no, 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 no. You have all things that you need to be effective right now in this very moment, enriched in him in all speech and knowledge, lacking in nothing that we need to be effective. So what does this look like in the, for the church in Escondido, in North County? What does it look like for us? You know, it's interesting that um, when my family and I were moving out here, we were literally um, moving our family, driving across the country. We went into a gas station and we're filling up and talked to the uh, gas station attendant. And he said, hey, where, where are you going? And I said, oh, we're, we're moving to California. And he says, where from? And I said, from Colorado. And he says, he says to me, everyone else is going the other direction. No, no, here's the thing. I knew that in my head, right? right? But there was something in my heart that sank. I went, oh, he's right. <laughs> he's right. And since getting here, I get about an email a week from people who are going the other direction, right? 
And listen, I get it. If that's the journey that your family is on and God's leading, you've got you've to follow him and you have got to be faithful to his calling on your life. We felt like that's what we were doing when we said yes to following God in the opposite direction. But to the church in California, to the church in Escondido, where I think so many people are leaving because we're going, it's a challenge to be here. And amen to that. Amen to that. But I would say the same thing to us that the Apostle Paul said to the church in Corinth. We have everything we need to be effective right here, right now, to live out God's calling for us as a church in this area. We can make a difference in our city. We can bring hope and effect change. We can bridge the racial divide. We can come alongside single moms, hurting families, and homeless people in our community. We can see Jesus bring about revival for the glory of his name. We just need to rise and when I say rise up, I am not saying let's like take back our state or take back our country. Not, not in that kind of way, but let's rise up in love, you guys, and see what God wants to do through that. Maybe, just maybe, it'll be taken back. Maybe not, but the results are God's. We're called to love. Let's love, let's love in any way we can. Let's love anyway even when it's not reciprocated. Let's love when we disagree, when we long for something better, when it's not politically correct or applauded. Let's love behind the scenes when it doesn't involve Instagram and virtue signaling. Let's love through his spirit, empowered by him to live in his way with his heart. And let's believe that what the Apostle Paul writes towards the end of this letter is true, that love never fails. And it won't fail us today in 2022. It has never failed the church before. One final way that we can live faithfully in Corinth, in Christ. Paul wrote this. God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. You know, it struck me as I read through this first nine verses, and I'd encourage you to do that again this week. And count how many times in nine verses Paul references Jesus. Ten times. He's going, it's about him. It's about him. It's about him. And, and he wants to remind us it's about him. And we get to walk with him together in fellowship. Did you catch in, in verse 2 when he said that we are called to be saints? We are called to be saints together. As if, as if he's saying, you can't really become a saint alone. You might trick yourself into believing you're holy. Just wait till you interact with other people. You'll know you're not, right? You, it's a journey that we take together, which is one of the reasons we love life groups here. And you can sign up in uh, any of our wings at, right outside of our worship center right after the service so that you can really do life together, walk through life with other people because we believe we don't grow through to holiness alone but with one another. Here's what I'm struck by. Paul has a remarkably high view of an immensely struggling church. I mean, he's not wringing out his hands. He's not going, Corinth, un 
unprecedented. No, what's his focus? God's faithful. God's got this. He hasn't taken his hand off his church before, and he will not now. If we're going to live faithfully with our feet in two different worlds, we have got to trust that God is faithful to his faltering church, to his frail church, to his church that doesn't quite know exactly what step to make and where to go. God is faithful, and God's faithfulness is and has always been our foundation. Amen? I had the chance to um, officiate a wedding a few years back of a couple that met in our church in Colorado, and they were getting married uh, outside in the mountains in Colorado. And um, that's always a bit dangerous, but the day that they got married, it just, it was a beautiful afternoon. And I snapped this picture, and I turned to the groom and said, God has graced you with a beautiful day. And then those clouds started to gather together, <clears throat> as they sometimes do in Colorado. And um, we were getting ready to walk uh, up the aisle to begin the ceremony, and it started to drizzle. And I leaned over to him and said, it's just drizzle, you're going to be just fine. <laughs> and the music started to play, and the bride walked down the aisle, and it started to rain and then it started to rain. <laughs> and it rained so hard that I had people that had umbrellas come to sort of the center point in the aisle to hold them so that people could gather around to hear the ceremony and hear the vows because the place that was plan B, if it did rain, was about a quarter mile away. And it was raining so hard that we had to stop the ceremony, not because of the rain, but because nobody could hear what was going on because the rain was hitting the umbrella so hard. And we said, all right, fine, we're, we're, we're uh, done with this. Let's move inside. And when we got done um, and started to move inside, this was a picture of that field just covered with a few inches of rain, But as we started to walk to plan B that was about a quarter mile away, the sun started to peek out. <laughs> and I snapped this picture. <laughs> and it was just this reminder for me. So I changed my whole message for them, my charge to them, um, and, and based it around the idea that life isn't gonna turn out exactly the way that you think it will. And in the midst of all of that, God is gonna be good and God will be faithful. And just so that I didn't miss what God was saying in the midst of all of that, I sat down at the reception in a soaking wet suit and they had made these um, little homemade coasters that were at every single table spot. And on each of them, they had a line from a hymn. And I sat down at the table and the line from the hymn in front of my seat was great is thy faithfulness. 
And I thought, God, I don't want to ever lose sight of the reality that life isn't going to go exactly the way I think it will. But you will always be faithful. That was Paul's message to a hurting, faltering, fledgling church in Corinth, and it's his message to us today. I love the way he wrote it to Timothy. He said, if we are faithless, he, God, remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And in the midst of quote-unquote unprecedented times, if that is indeed what we are living in. A chaotic world needs a confident church. Let's become that church. Over the next few months together, we're gonna be encouraged and convicted. I'm confident of that. We're gonna talk about controversial issues like spirituality and sexuality and marriage and compromise and spiritual gifts and resurrection. And that's just the tip of the iceberg, you guys. But I think you'll find, as I have, that 1 Corinthians is a wildly, and that's pun intended, wildly applicable letter for our lives today. So as we start this journey together, let's start it in the exact same spot that the church in Corinth started. Let's start it with our feet in two different worlds. In Corinth, or or Escondido, or North County, and in Christ. And let's live faithfully. Let's commit to living faithfully, knowing our identity, empowered by our spirit, propelled forward by his faithfulness. Let's live faithfully in the in-between. Amen? Let's pray. Let's pray. King Jesus, I pray that over this next year in this letter, as we study it together, that you would shape us, that you'd make us, that you would mold us more and more into your image. God, would you convince us of your faithfulness afresh? God, prove it over and over and open our eyes to see it. Allow us to become confident in the fact that you've enriched us and that we lack nothing in you for the difficult situations that we're facing personally, publicly. God, allow us to sense your spirit's work and your grace at work in our life in such a way that we might move forward in confidence. And then throughout this whole time, God, would you remind us of who we are in you? Sanctified saints made holy by your precious blood that's been shed for us. Thank you for this letter. Would, you, would your spirit work in and through it to make us and mold us more into your image and into the kind of church you're inviting us to be and to become in Jesus' name. All God's people say, amen, amen and amen. Thank you for listening to our service. We'd love to have you join us in person. For more information about our church and service times, please visit efcc.org. If you would like to support the ministries of Emmanuel Faith, you can do so at efcc.org give.